Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Politics without the soap opera. With unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and humans yearning once again not to be lab rats. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here at CR Podcast Blaze Media for Friday, April 15th. And on the one hand, it is Good Friday. So happy Good Friday to our Christian listeners and happy Passover to our Jewish listeners starting uh, Saturday. But it is also a bad Friday. Because it's April 15th. That is tax day. Now, it used to take on bigger meaning. Unfortunately, now, with withholdings, what it does is it ensures that the people who pay all the taxes don't even realize it because they just write it off. And those who don't pay taxes think they do. Imagine if every April 15th, those who are getting money would get a check and those who are paying would have to write a big, fat check. But the reality is taxes is not even the issue anymore because it is now our life, our health, our freedom that is at stake. And they don't need tax revenue to do that. Okay, that's where the printing press comes in. The average family is going to pay $5,200 extra a year, which is an inflation because of the printing, which is more than anything that a good number of people pay in federal taxes. In fact, the majority of people, if you think about it, and it is only getting worse. But the real issue is pharma. Like I said, big pharma is the new abortion industry. They're aborting all of us. They're mandating abortions. This is the most important issue of our time. I I, I want you to kind of step back and think of all the different things a government could do to you. What is worse than what they have done to us and are continuing to do to us? This is not over, and that's why I'm going to continue dogging this issue while trying to cover some others as well. We're going to have Dr. Pierre Corian, who's been at the forefront of this, um, really represents this new bipartisan movement that we've been talking about, people formerly of the left, people of the right like myself, coming together to fight medical tyranny. So he's going to give us an update on pharma, what he's doing on vaccine injury treatment, long-haul treatment. Uh, some of these phony studies coming out from pharma. Where is this patriot doctor movement headed? So we're going to get into that. I first want to just clear the decks of a couple of news items before uh, Dr. Corey comes in. Now, a lot of you are probably wondering what I do in my spare time. Well, I don't have too much spare time uh, after everything I'm doing. But one of the stress relievers that I like uh, that that I like for myself is yard work. I love gardening. You know, there's nothing like walking around in my yard with the shrubs and trees, um, blowing off some steam after I raise my blood pressure after doing one of these shows. So this time of year, April, May, is when everyone is looking to buy new trees, new shrubs, spruce up your lawn. 
I want to introduce you guys to a really exciting new sponsor, fastgrowingtrees.com slash conservative. Um, normally, I hate this whole online culture and not meeting people in person, but I could do without going to the floral store in person. There's like only one in my county. I only have time on Sunday, so they're packed. Then you got to bring it in, in your car, get all the dirt all over your car seats, and then the trees or shrubs often get decapitated on the way there. Here you could order online at fastgrowingtrees.com slash conservative any tree or shrub you can imagine. Okay? Um, they're specifically geared towards your climate, location, needs. They actually have a great function on there you could look uh, to solve problems. Whatever problems you have, you need shade, you need to cut down on noise. They have good suggestions for you. Um, every plant is raised and cared for by their team of expert growers, so there's no waiting on lines, no messy cars, and the plants ship to you within a day or two. They ship very quickly. I actually just ordered some beautiful hydrangeas, um, and plus, they actually have growing and care advice available 24-7, so it really is a one-stop shop service, and then they have a 30-day alive and thrive guarantee you could trust everything will be healthy for years to come. I can't tell you how many times I've come back really excited with something and he planted it in the ground and it just never grows. So here's the deal. I want you to go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash conservative right now. You can get 15% off your entire order. They actually, actually do have a general sale now in honor of Easter. Again, get 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com slash conservative. Folks, make sure your dream yard doesn't turn into a graveyard with junky shrubs and trees, get the best quality at fastgrowingtrees.com slash conservative. Okay, I'm going to start off with this clip. Some of you might have heard it, but if you haven't, this is the most important clip of the day. Anthony Fauci was on yesterday with MSNBC's Andrea Mitchell. Take a listen right here. How concerning is the outbreak in China? We see the lockdown in Shanghai and the State Department now ordering families out, all non-essential workers out of Shanghai. Well, China has, has a number of problems, two of which are that their complete lockdown, which was their approach, a strictest lockdown that you'd never be able to implement in the United States, Although that prevents the spread of infection, and remember early on, they were saying, and I think accurately, that they were doing better than almost anybody else. But lockdown has its consequences. You use lockdowns to get people vaccinated so that when you open up, you won't have a surge of infections because you're dealing with an immunologically naive population to the virus because they've not really been exposed because of the lockdown. The problem is that the vaccines that they've been using are not nearly as effective as the vaccines that are used in the United States, the UK, EU and other places. Now, in that 60 second clip, there is so much to unpack. You use lockdowns to get people vaccinated. So you could tell that to this day, they have not learned their lesson to this day. They are just as supportive of lockdowns, of clot shots, and the use of lockdowns as a coercive tactic. But that's not it. There's so much to unpack there. 
So he was asked about China. We literally have a genocide going on in Shanghai. Okay, we're talking about a city of 16 million people being starved to death. Okay? Beaten. Animals being clubbed to death on the streets. Did you hear what he said? China has a number of problems. Two of which are that their complete lockdown, which was their approach, the strictest lockdown that you'd be able to, that you'd never be able to implement in, in the United States. So I, when he said they have a problem, I kept waiting for him to say, like, it's tyrannical, it's harmful, it kills people, you can't do that to human beings. No, that's not what he said. If you listen carefully, he said, you never be able to implement it in the United States. Like, it's like you got, you know, Auschwitz and concentrations again, you know. The problem with it is you can't really get away with doing that here in the United States. That's, that's the one thing he said. And then he said, although that prevents the spread of infection, I remember early on that we were saying, and I think accurately, they were doing better than almost anybody else. So to this day, he still believes that that is actually the way to go. Then he said, but lockdowns has its consequences. Well, we thought, oh, like, yeah, you destroy the physical and mental and emotional health of a generation of people. Right? No, that's not what he says. You use lockdowns to get people vaccinated so that when you open up, you won't have a surge of infections. The problem is that the vaccines that they've been using are not nearly as effective as the ones in the US, UK, the EU, so they don't have the degree of protection that's optimal. So his only problem is he doesn't like the type of vaccines they're using and that you can't you do that in the United States and get away with it, at least as of yet. But he has no problem with what they are doing. This is absolutely remarkable. But folks, he's not just one man. Oh, maybe he'll retire soon. No, that is the thinking of all the masters of the universe. Fauci, okay? Democrats, a lot of Republicans. Klaus Schwab. EU, WHO leaders, they all believe in everything that Shanghai is doing. The reason they don't do quite that level, but they do pretty, you know, a lot, is because they don't think they could yet get away with it in the Western countries. And number two, oh, they don't have Pfizer's beautiful shots and Moderna shots. But he does believe principally that every time there is a virus, which they will increasingly make sure there are more of them, they could lock you down, and to that degree even, until they get another bioweapon to inject in, in your body. So even though every aspect of this has been, been debunked 10 times over, the outdoor transmission, the asymptomatic transmission, that lockdowns work, that masks work, that the clot shots work, right? It doesn't matter. They are still on this 100%. And to the extent that they might artfully choose what they will and won't do to you at a given moment, that is just a matter of knowing what they can get away with, not what they believe believe in. So morally, at a conscience level, Fauci is on board with everything they are doing there. And mind you, this is the same man that has no problem bringing in 500,000 illegals a month during what he, he believes is a pandemic. Because again, this is not really about what's effective against a pandemic. 
the control, the lockdown, the misery is not even collateral damage that they're willing to tolerate to achieve their goal. It is the goal. It still is the goal. It has not gone away. And what have Republicans done to ensure we are inoculated from this from ever happening again? And the answer is nothing because they haven't even gotten rid of most of the most harmful aspects of it that already still exist. And by the way, just one other thing there. He's like, China has it right. It's just they don't have the right vaccine. Here's the thing. As we mentioned earlier this week, New Zealand actually did that. I mean, I guess you could say it's not quite what China did, but pretty close. And they, they, they barely had any COVID. So whether it's because of the lockdown or not, you could say they succeeded. And then they had the great Pfizer shot, right? New Zealand, New Zealand is only Pfizer. And they had basically 98% of their cases and 90% of their deaths after everyone was boosted. So the whole thing's a lie anyway, but then again, he knows it. We knew this from day one. Yes, Republicans, maybe now they're not quite for lockdowns to that degree. But you know what? The left isn't stupid. If Republicans are in power, they'll induce something even more pathogenic. And it will be truly be scary. So all these Republicans will be like, look, you know, yeah, it was wrong for COVID, but, but this, this is different. Don't think we are out of the woods. And don't think pharma is not concocting more of this. Now, we give you a 2020 vision on politics and policy here. I want you guys to get yourself some better spectacles made by Rodenstock for real 2020 vision in your eyes. Rodenstock scientists use biometric research to measure the eye in over 7,000 points. They've taken the findings from over 1 million patients, combined it with artificial intelligence, which for once is actually used for something good that helps your eyes, not harms your body like the clot shots. The result is biometric intelligence glasses are big, which gives you a seamlessly natural experience that works perfectly with your brain and gives you the sharpest vision. I could attest to the fact my wife and I now have better spectacles, and they really are the sharpest vision I've ever had. Um, and everyone I've recommended to say the same thing. So if you want your pair, go to betterspectacles.com slash conservative to schedule a teleoptical appointment. So again, you don't even have to leave your home. Um, don't settle with your eyesight. Go big with biometrical intelligence glasses from Better Spectacles. 61% off their progressive eyewear plus free handcrafted rodent stock frames only available at betterspectacles.com slash conservative. That's betterspectacles.com slash conservative. So folks, what is this devastation that Fauci and company wrought, supported, by the way, by Trump and Pence and the Trump administration? I guess that's why he's supporting Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania, who supported all this crap. This is from Fox 6 Milwaukee. The number of teenage girls who visited the ER for eating disorders doubled during the COVID crisis, according to recent data from the U.S. health officials. One of the many examples shared in recent days of the pandemic's harmful impact on, on mental health. Really, the pandemic harms mental health? I didn't know that. Oh, that's right. It's what we did. It's the pandemic of tyranny. Stay-at-home orders, social isolation, loss of caregivers, economic hardships, and general fear of the virus 
oh, so they admit it, have driven a surge in cases of depression, anxiety, trauma, loneliness, and suicidal ideation among children and teenagers, according to the American Academy of Pediatrics. So folks, if you think about it, you don't need even the Shanghai-level lockdown to get to this level. What they have done to us is unimaginable. Are you ready to just walk away from this? Like 99% of Republicans are? And by the way, shame on me. I have really been behind on the schedule in dealing with primaries. I do hope to get back to that next week or the week after that to start having candidates on. Although I will say, I mean, it is hard to find good candidates. I mean, you do have at lower levels, you know, you know, state legislative, county, maybe congressional races. But the big ticket items, the statewide races, and importantly, governor, there aren't that many. So I'll try to have on the few that there are. I'm open to recommendations. You could email me, Daniel Hurwitz at startmail.com. But I want to share um, another story with you before bringing on our guest. Vaccine, COVIDvaccineinjuries.com. And they chronicle this human toll. We're seeing people drop dead like everywhere. Comedians, athletes, um, all sorts of famous people just drop. Quarterbacks, people dropping from cancer within a week or two after being diagnosed. And by the way, that's a bigger deal than even the amount of cancer because the deal is that even when someone gets cancer and you think, oh man, that's an immune system fail, but still, you know, even a death sentence cancer usually takes six to 12 months and usually a few years, most often. And that's because your body still is fighting it, even without any external, you know, help. Your body is keeping it at bay. When you see people drop immediately from cancers, there's only one explanation for that. And that is something turned off your, your, the genes in your body that are, are tumor fighting genes as well as your, your killer cells, like the you know, CD8s. And I think we all know what has done that. And by the way, I just want to say again, if I encourage all of you, if you were injured by the shot or your friends or relatives, go to truthforhealth.org and there's a, a button there to report it. Now again, this is not government. This is a private, private um, organization Two reasons you should do it. Number one, they, they do have treatment options, so you could sign up for that to help you get treated, which is important. But number two, we at least need someone quantifying this, and I think we could, we could better understand the scope and severity of what's out there. So kudos for our friends from you know Dr. Valit and Dr. McCullough. They announced uh, uh, earlier this week the launching of this kind of VAERS reporting system that they made, truthforhealth.org. Um, there. But anyway, the story at COVID vaccine injuries, it's just heartbreaking, but this is happening everywhere. Isabella da Silva, an 11 year old girl, died four days after being inoculated with a jab against COVID 19. According to the reports, the girl was being threatened by the direction of the school where she studied. She was a healthy girl without any comorbidities, perfect health. Her parents didn't want her to get the shot. The school management pressured her, threatening to make a complaint. The Guardianship Council is directed by the Paranama Public Ministry. This is in some Latin American country. I'm forgetting where. And basically, 
she was terrorized into doing this. And four days later, was dead. And there's stories of this in the United States everywhere. And by the way, did you know that we are actually behind European countries on this issue? We are behind European countries on this issue. As bad as Europe is. If you go to the UK Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency, that's like their FDA, they posted two days ago, this is a direct quote, kind of an update on the vaccines, COVID-19 mRNA vaccine, BNT, yada, 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 dabadu, that's the Pfizer shot, is not recommended for children under 12. So the UK government is saying it's not recommended, yet here we are, they're going to be pushing a third shot in the coming days on 5 to 11-year-olds. And to this day, we only have one state, Florida, that has, that has matched even the UK to not recommend it for children. I don't know if the Florida Health Department gave an age. They just said children shouldn't get it. One state. I mean, unless I'm missing some, I don't see any of the other so-called red states even going that far. Which, of course, this thing shouldn't be recommended to anyone. Um, you know, you don't have to come on to children. It literally is negative effective. All risk and no return. <laughs> negative for COVID at this point. Right, we're, we're, we're beyond the leaky chicken dynamic. Where, where you know it offered some degree of early protection for the original strain and then hosed other people. No. I mean, now from what we're seeing from the data, the variants now are almost exclusively hitting those with the shots. So, folks, this is why if you have a Republican politician that swears, oh, I'm against Planned Parenthood, but I'm all for Pfizer, you're dead to me. I mean, you could be both, and you should be both, but to me, it's more important. And that gets to our next guest. Now, you guys don't need much of an introduction to Dr. Pierre Corey. Obviously, he's been all over every aspect of this pandemic from day one. And not just the treatment, which he started with, but the pandemic of tyranny, the pandemic of lack of informed consent, um, everyone now is familiar with the FLCCC with, uh, you know, Dr. Paul Merrick. Uh, together with him, he co-founded it. Um, I want you guys to just a couple of things here. Check out his Substack. There's a lot of go- good information there. So, you know, Substack, uh, As well as he does have now a telehealth clinic. So a lot of you emailing me with long COVID, long vaccine, um, neurological issues, heart issues, pulmonary issues. DrPierreCorey.com, and that's DrPierreCorey.com, is his new telehealth site. Dr. Corey, it's been way too long. Thanks for coming back. Hey, Daniel. It's good to be here again. So, look, you're coming out with a book soon, The War on Ivermectin. And by the way, you guys could pre-order it on Amazon. Um, But I think now we understand why there was a war on Ivermectin, because it's not just about Ivermectin. And it's not even just about treatments. There is a broader scandal here that I I still cannot wrap my emotions around, but it is truly, truly shocking, and it clearly is reverberating and probably has been before COVID, beyond COVID. 
what is the state of play in, with medicine? And, and, and can you just give us a little background with you and all these other Patriot doctors kind of palling around, you know, at these rallies? You got Peter McCullough Ryan Cole, these guys. Where do you guys see yourself taking this movement in the coming months? Yeah, so it's a big question, Daniel. So let's just say, so I want to say at the outset that what I've learned about the system that we're in and how it's operating um, has been transformative. And I I, I don't know if it's a good way. The things that I know now that I didn't know before the pandemic are, are, are truly shocking and frightening. I didn't know the system was set up and runs the way it runs. Um, and, and so that's one thing. And, and I learned all of this by becoming an expert at ivermectin, which you mentioned. It's, it's not about ivermectin. I mean, ivermectin is a repurposed drug. It's generic. And the entire health system is is literally structured and the pharmaceutical industry is structured in a way that, that part of their operating procedures, you know, part of how they run their businesses is that the single greatest enemy to the pharmaceutical industry is repurposed drugs. Um, they have been on the attack and a war, and the, the way they fight that war is just immense and all-encompassing um, through media, journals. I mean, all the stuff that I've learned that I've seen that they're pulling is, is uh, again, it's just terrifying, um, the amount of power that they're able to exude to, to, to change public perception of repurposed drugs to preserve the market for their own stuff, whether it be vaccines or Paxlovid or Moldenpiver, a lot of the stuff that you've covered, you've seen all this stuff, Daniel, and you've talked about it. Um, but when you talk about like us and my colleagues, you know, you call us the patriots, I call us the dissidents. Um, you know, I think all of us have been transformed. I don't think any of us really knew that this is the system and how it operates. But if you talk like about Peter McCullough, right, who very early on, uh, like Senator Johnson, very early on, asked good questions like, why is the system not recommending even safe, sound, pragmatic approaches like people check your vitamin D levels and recommend vitamin D or try ivermectin is one of the safest drugs known to man. And all the evidence shows that it's beneficial, although they, they say it's inconclusive, you know, um, but but just pragmatic risk benefit decisions. And we saw instead this this lockdown on treatments. And and then the, and then when you look at the vaccines, you know, they get rolled out and VARS, right, the vaccine adverse event reporting system starts to blow up in a way that's never before seen in history. And you're watching the system ignore it, dismiss it. I mean, it, it's, it's a reporting system that, that we're supposed to ask questions and investigate. And there's massive uh, toxicity signals coming out of it. And we're told for a year now that they're safe and effective, safe and effective, and that not one person has died from the vaccine when right now we have 26,000 deaths logged in. And so, so when we, so basically all of us who are experts in our specific areas, we started to see that the policies and practices of our health system were so divorced from the underlying science. And the only way you can recognize that is you had to be expert in, in a specific area. So if you look at Malone, I mean, he's an expert at vaccines and pandemic responses. Um, he saw early on that they were completely ignoring, uh, uh, you know, a significant look at repurposed medicines, which is the first thing you'd want to do in, in, in a pandemic is what medicines do we have that's already been approved that could be useful against this disease. And, and there was like a consistent effort to not do that. Right. And, and people probably remember my testimony in December, 2020 in the Senate, you know, I called to that. I said, where is the panel looking at repurposed drugs? And, 
And then you get to see that, like the way they behave, like this is how I see the agencies now, is if you look at any policy or decision they make, you ask yourself, what would a pharmaceutical company want that policy to be written as? And then you look at the policy and it is completely yep. in line with what a pharmaceutical yep. company would want, whether it's vaccinating toddlers. You know, yes, and I get like, so it's hard for me to read this stuff, Daniel. I mean, like I read yesterday, but they're, they're trying to get an Omicron vaccine for six months to five-year-olds. And, and, and the levels of absurdity and, and lack of concern for health or risk benefit um, that they're willing to, to, to create these policies for is truly shocking. And I, I'll finish my answer, Dan, by saying, like, I never could have imagined this situation two years ago. I had an implicit faith in, in our public health bureaucracy that I, I know there's good scientists and doctors who work in these agencies. The problem is none of them make the decisions. And those decisions come from the top, and the top is rotten. And you only yes. get to the top if you're willing to play with the pharmaceutical companies. So all these leaders, they know the system that they're in. They know who, who their masters are, and, and they act part and parcel in line with them. And so we've all learned that. And, and, all, and, and the other thing that I think that makes us unique, besides being experts in our content area, so Peter McCullough, you know, he became an expert in – he knows what approvals are like and what normal, normal processes are to prove a, a new novel medical intervention and how they were just – blatantly ignored and blown through. Uh, you know, Malone also knows uh, you know, the, the stuff about the vaccines. What, and so they, they understood that, that the policies were becoming increasingly divorced from any underlying credible data. And, and I saw it with the, the, the pharmaceuticals, what they were doing there and suppressing early treatments. And, and you know, and Aaron Cariotti, you know, saw that the ethics, you know, the, the informed yes. consent, the mandates, you know, and we saw it was just this rapacious, you know, just this rapacious war using information, mandates, policies, and agencies. And, and, and you know, I call us the United States of Pharma now. I, I really think that, like, the way this pandemic was managed, it's being managed by pharmaceutical companies. And, and that's, that's the terrifying state of our system. And I didn't know it was that bad. You know, I always knew there was a little corruption. Sure, pharmaceutical yeah. companies probably flip a study or two into the journals that probably aren't kosher. They probably monkey around that data a little bit. Like that's to be expected. I, I didn't know it was total. I, th that's what has shocked me. And, and I think I've been more suspicious of big government for much longer than you have. I've been extremely suspicious. Um, I've, I, you know, and, and that's, what's been beautiful about this is brought together many disparate political views into a new movement to deal with the corruption yep. of medical freedom. But even I didn't, consider this you know i figured look if, the, if there's a big cure to something everyone would know about it and then yep. now that i i see with covid i'm like wait a minute now that i understand this whole tyranny of the rct and the high impact journals and the games they play with that now i i go on to cancer and i i gave dr yep. cole a call cole and urso because i had an aunt with with colorectal cancer and they tell me about low-dose naltrexone and a bunch of different drugs. And some of them were the same ones we were using with COVID, like metformin. And, and there's tons of cancer research on, on nidazoxanide and ivermectin. And, I, and I, I'm like, no way. And I look online. I'm like, it's everywhere. And I'm thinking, well, why, why isn't it being used? And then I remember, it's got in vitro. It's got animal. It's got some pretty nice human observational. It's already safe, long-standing safety profile. But it will sit for decades without a large RCT in a high-impact journal because they can't get funding for it, 
and it's done by design. Is is this a broader issue than just COVID? That's exact. I love what you just said because that's what I kind of try to describe on my Substack and in my book is that, like you said, it's it's this system, and I, I at its simplest, it's basically I'm going to kind of repeat what you just said. The the way I see it is. What drives headlines and and sort of influences doctors' thinking are are the big newspapers and big media. And the only thing scientific that gets into big media and big newspapers, right, are high-impact journals, what I call big journals, like New England Journal of Medicine, Lancet, uh, JAMA. And, and those are the ones, if you get a study in there, that gets on the front pages and and those front pages still influence doctors and and by the way those journals influence doctors so not only does it influence lay people because it lands on the headlines but that's what the doctors see and so when you're told by a big journal where i gotta tell you this is the other thing is and even paul merrick i mean he he's been publishing he's the highest he's the most published critical care doctor in the history of our specialty who's practicing medicine and and he he we've made mistakes because we believe yes. the journals like we got hydroxychloroquine wrong for a while because we actually believed what was showing up in these journals these rcts and then and then you go further right so it's big media big newspapers big journals and then the only thing that drives those journals and media are big rcts and they control that space. So you will not get a big RCT funded, because especially on a repurposed drug, for two reasons. Pharma won't do it because it's anathema to their operating, you know, to, to their industry. I mean, repurposed drugs, there's thousands of approved FDA-approved drugs. They are terrified of it. Repurposed drugs in one swoop could destroy the pharmaceutical. Industry. It could destroy them. So they, yeah, they, they would. They, it, it's 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 exactly their enemy. So they have long practiced, and I love that you bring up cancer because they've been doing it in cancer. They've been doing it in psychiatry. You know, they're, they're constantly come with studies where their new shiny pill, antidepressant, antipsychotic, is somehow better than the older stuff that's proven and safe. And even though it causes diabetes and weight gain, and, and even cardiology, and so they, they're doing this sort of everywhere. It's standard procedure, but those are the levers in which they pull, right? So it's it's the funding of the RCTs. It's either pharma who funds it or the NIH, and the NIH is pharma. Like yep. if you wanted to do a good IV vitamin C trial, you know, one that actually will show that it works, because there's plenty that have been done that shows that it doesn't work. But if you wanted to actually really do a good trial where you, you, you know, which is you give it early at the correct dose, you know, they, they, they actually control the design of these trials. And, and the TOGETHER trial, which I'm sure we're going to talk about, is, is such a – I don't want to say a perfect example, but it, it's, it's, it's a brazen example of how they manipulate RCTs to get the results they want. So let's, let's get, get into that. Let's yeah. get into that because I think what I found interesting with ivermectin is the same thing with hydroxychloroquine and really the same thing with everything – Except for Fluvox, because I just think they know that it's, you know it's not so well tolerated, so it's not like going to distribute it that much. But every other thing we've had, all the initial data on it seemed to be amazing. The anecdotal data was amazing. Not just like yep. my uncle's cousin says it's great, but really you just see, you know, to me, anecdotal is. I think sometimes it's like nothing, but sometimes it's actually better than a trial. Meaning when you're turning around people on a ventilator in a, in, in a state of being that you weren't before, there's clearly something there. So, but then, but then a couple months later, just like with hydroxy, then the streak ends and then it's a streak the other way. Suddenly it doesn't work. So describe what's going on with that. 
So let me just say what you just said again, Daniel, I mean, you're well studied in this area. So what's really important about that is that there's, I want to talk about before COVID, there's now a long standing, almost like accepted truth amongst physicians. And, and, and again, I'm not blaming physicians because they are a product of their training and, and how they're taught. And I will tell you as an educator in medicine for almost two decades, like it is like one of, it's an axiom in medicine that you should never act on anecdotal data or case series or what they call low quality evidence because there's been examples of people who've done that where the RCT, the randomized control trial later shows that it actually doesn't work. So doctors will not try or believe in anything now until the big RCT tells them that it's actually valid. And the crazy thing that happens is that those things that work are destroyed by the RCT that later on shows that it doesn't yep. work. And vice versa, we've had RCTs, which actually showed something works, been widely adopted, only to be later find, found out in independent trials and meta-analyses that it was crap. It didn't work. And those usually are pharmaceutical drugs. All, all I can tell you, Dr. Corey, is we're told Paxlovid is a 90% uh, decrease in mortality. I don't know anyone who has raved like, oh, man, that thing really saved me. I don't see it. That, that, first of all, that drug is an absurdity, right? So <laughs> because I've never seen a drug with more drug interactions, it literally conflicts with almost every, almost every class of medicine. Including steroids, Number which you'd want to give. Yeah, yeah of course. I mean, it's just bizarre. And then, and then the second thing is, and this has been written about for decades, is the shenanigans they pull with their trials. It's been well described. Whenever they've compared a pharmaceutical-sponsored trial on one of their drugs with a later independently funded or seemingly independent institution, 86% of the pharmaceutical trials find positive benefits, <laughs> only 50% in trials. So there's a huge inflation. They bury adverse yeah. data. They monkey around. They can do whatever they want. And and if you if you have some faith that there's some sort of good acting uh, or there's yes. some sort of proper behavior, um, that, that's been disproven. And yet, yet we're sitting in a society right now, Daniel, that literally is listening to CEOs of pharmaceutical companies to help save us. And, and Pfizer gets gets to be on the a Pfizer CEO says something and it's on the front pages of our newspapers. What what happened to, you know, no one never listened to pharmaceutical companies before, but now we're listening to them because we're so scared. We, we literally Hello? govern from, from their press releases. I remember with Molnupiravir, yeah. which is an utter piece of crap. I mean, you couldn't have come yeah. up with a more pathetic drug. It doesn't work. It doesn't work, and it's dangerous. And and they admit, oh, yeah, you know, it inhibited bone growth in the in the offspring of the rats. Hey, let's go use it on humans. And the I so I don't I didn't know medicine and science, but I know politics. That's been my field my whole life. And from a PR standpoint, I remember it was a Friday when it came out, and within 20 minutes, and you know, everyone was focused more on like the cool issues, the mask, the vaccine. No one ever heard of Molnupiravir. No one was into like the drugs yep. back then. Um, this was, I want to say, September 2021. And even my own publications, like everyone, there was no PDF. They didn't even have a study out there. It was just Merck's press release. Yeah, Merck has billions of dollars that are hinging on this uh, with a government contract. Like they say it works. It works. <laughs> And, 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 and then what's even more absurd, and, and that's this other thing, is that the stuff they do, at least to me now, and I think to a lot of people, it's so unsubtle and brazen. 
and yet it still works. So when they came out with that press release, you know, they'd only, that was the interim analysis. And then when you saw the final data in the second half of the trial, placebo outperformed the drug. And then when you actually look at the trial data, you find out there's only one country in which it worked. It was multiple countries, multiple centers. And when you actually look at the data, the only place to show benefit is Brazil. <laughs> and Brazil is an issue. It is the single largest buyer of pharmaceutical products in the world because the entire system buys it en masse because it's a national health system. It's mm. a major country. And so pharma has huge sway. And then the, the CROs, which are the contracted research organizations in Brazil, which conduct trials, they're notoriously corrupt. So it's a little <laughs> funny that Molnupiravir only worked in the Brazilian part of the trial. Wait a minute. Isn't that the same it, country it, where it, the TOGETHER trial for ivermectin occurred? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that, Daniel. But you're right. Isn't that odd that TOGETHER was conducted in Brazil with a contract research organization and the lead author of the TOGETHER trial, who works for that CRO, um, has never done a repurposed drug trial. Everything he's done before are pharmaceutical company trials. And that's who I would want to do a repurposed drug <laughs> trial, right? Um, I, I mean, it's, it's absurd. And, and the, here's the thing, though, Dan, let me finish on that point, is that what I've realized, because when I see this, so I'm like a, a careful, studied you know, physician researcher. I look at these trials, and I see all this nonsense. I see the stuff that they're burying. I see these inconsistencies, aberrancies, and just total oddities, if not fraudulencies, if that's a word. And I'm looking at this, and I'm like, how can they get away with it? And I realize the answer is because they can. Because look what happened to the other trial. It was, you know, like with any breaking news or science, there's an embargo on the paper. So the paper is accepted. It's about to be published. And you can give it to, to media organizations before it's actually printed on the pages of New England Journal of Medicine. And so that thing, when it came out, every headline was like shouting from the, you know, the rooftops that this ivermectin proven not to work. It drove the headlines. And and. And, you know, nobody – once it's on every headline of every major newspaper around the country and world, you know, there's all of us researchers who are like, wait, wait, wait a second. We're looking at this data. It doesn't make sense. Why did they do this? Why did they do that? How come there's missing data? How come there's data that doesn't add up? I mean, the, the amount of problems with this trial, it, 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 it's, it's so absurd, but it doesn't matter. You know, I'm on email groups of really careful researchers and statisticians who are just like pulling their hair out that this study got published in New England Journal, and I'm watching all of their arguments. I'm seeing lists of 47 problems with the study. That really, I, don't, I only care about the first three or four because they're so obviously fraudulent. But it doesn't matter. Like Any concerns, what are we going to do? We're going to write a letter to the editor of New yeah. England Journal, which is what we're doing? But that does, you think that's going to drive headlines? No well, way. Th then, then there's the ultimate fraud. We're, we're talking about the therapeutics, but then you go back to the on Japan gorilla in the room and, and the vaccines. I mean, you talk yeah. about fraud, even before you take apart their trials, it's just the results of reality for a year and a half. Um, the, you know, this is the safest, the most effective thing around. And now we're like, it's so ineffective that we need to keep getting more of it. And then, yep. I mean, the amount of people just dropping and dying suddenly. And I mean, the people I know personally that have the craziest things happen to them. Uh, yep. What are some of the so so you started out obviously it was it was about 
treating COVID. It was it was about you know saving lives yep. from COVID. And we're like, okay, the vaccine. Look, if that helps, that's fine. But you were focused on treatment. But now this has yep. become just as much, if not at this point, a bigger issue because COVID itself has has died down a lot. That there are so many people emailing me with the neurological stuff, the brain fog, yep. and even the more obvious things like the cardio, they're not getting proper treatment. So oh. describe what you're hearing on the ground in terms of kind of the latest trends with vaccine injury and what you hope to do with it. Yeah. So, you know, there are a number of vaccine injured organizations with thousands, if not over 10,000 members. Um, like you just said, like, you know, people, obviously a lot of people reach out to you because of, of who you are, Dan, but you know, people in your own personal life. And that's like kind of what Steve cursed. That's how he started, you know, really looking at these vaccine adverse events is because he was shocked that in his tiny little circle. And I think one of his origin stories is like his housekeeper and then his gardener's wife and gardener, like all of them were vaccine injured. And he said, this ain't right. Why, why should three people in my immediate orbit have vaccine injuries? And, and, and basically, everyone knows someone who, uh, you know, generally everyone knows someone who didn't do well with the vaccine, whether it's minor, moderate or, or severe. But, you know, I am seeing my practice sees a lot of the vaccine injured and, and, and it runs the gamut. Many of them, it's neurological or brain fog, unremitting fatigue. Uh, some of it, it's actually ischemia. We, we're seeing we, we're seeing like poor perfusion. Um, we're having to use anticoagulants and we're getting pretty good success with some patients with anticoagulation, just thinning their blood because these they really are. They have these clotting tendencies after the strokes. And so. I mean, the, the, the problems they have are myriad. Many of them are effectively disabled in some sort. They cannot function the way they used to. And, and like you just said, the other 800 pounds, you know, the, the, the two humanitarian catastrophes that unfolded in this pandemic was the suppression of early treatment, which my, me and my organization, we didn't know it was going to be suppressed. We just tried to come up with the most effective treatment protocols using our judgment, experience, expertise, and the emerging data. And our protocols have always been ahead of, of anything because we, we watched the trials. We, we, we talked to people. We gained our own experience. That was our first thing. We never really got involved with vaccines just because – to be effective on that issue, it was it was very hard to take on vaccines because remember for for a long time and it's still somewhat the case. I mean, there's no such thing as a vaccine injury, and, and I mean, and when you talk about the vaccine injured, right, Daniel? There are clinics all around the country for long haul. There are no clinics for the vaccine injured. Yep, because you're not there, allowed to recognize that there is well, injury. It's not a. It, it doesn't exist, and so that's the other thing is is my patients who come to me. You know, the first five minutes of my visits, and I spent a lot of time with them as well as my nurse practitioners, but it's literally them telling their story of being gaslighted, whether it's long haul or post-vaccine. And, and, and all of their interactions with the health system, when they come in and say this started after vaccine, I mean, th th that, that association is dismissed. No one will write it in the chart. I mean, it is, it is like this dystopian society. I mean, things are so obvious, so, so blatant, and yet you have a system that, that just can't recognize it. Um, and wow. it, and it's sad. It, it, it's, it's, there's deep sadness around all of this because so people are hurting. Like he, you said, people are people hurting. Are, that, that's the biggest thing. It's like dying. they want to move on from COVID. I'm like, how do you move on? You have so many people. You just take the Israeli health ministry survey, you know, 4.5% just from one booster dose. So we, we've had people yep. three were had neurological damage. Um, 0.5%, I believe were hospitalized. 
Um, you yeah. extrapolate that to the United States with what, like 560 million doses worth. That's a heck of a lot of doses worth, even if it's a small percentage. And then now we're seeing a lot of the latent subclinical myocarditis that maybe doesn't come out till later. Oh, and then the long term. Yeah. Immunologic problems that we're now seeing, and some of them are really severe. Um, and some are above my head. I mean, I just had another patient come to me, a young person. There's actually the, the son-in-law of one of my patients who suddenly developed like uh, what's called pancytopenia, very low platelets, very low red blood cells, very low white cells. And all of this apparently started uh, temporarily associated with the vaccine. And so, and so it, it, you're right. Like, let's say COVID is over because now it's mild and the cases are manageable. Um, but there's a long tail. There's a long tail of the injured and the long haulers that are still out there in society and still suffering. And and then when you bring up the deaths, I mean, just, just to argue how dystopian and crazy our society is, I mean, the 300 European footballers that are documented on television with cardiac arrests on the field, whether it be like the A-leagues, the Premier Leagues, the second tier leagues, these are professional football players clutching their chests and going down routinely on weekends, on television. And every newspaper report of it, no mention of no the mention. vaccine. Well, and I wanted to get to this. What's worse than on a playing field in an airplane? So you mentioned something Wednesday yep. night about pilots. I've been wondering about this because I have a lot of information about the from the military that this has been going on with military pilots a lot. And I've been thinking to myself, there's no way it's not happening in the civilian pilot world um, no way. You know, so what what are you hearing on that front? So so let me ask you a question. Have you ever talked to uh, Lieutenant Colonel Teresa Long on yes. your show? You not, have, not on I, the I show, do. but yeah, we, we do speak. But privately. OK, because, you know, I also talked to her because she's another truth teller. She's another ethical physician who saw this unfolding uh, and, and she saw it as catastrophic. She, I mean, she she I mean, these are some of the fittest, youngest, healthiest people that are in the Air Force. And she saw them getting really sick. And she was worried not only from the individual, but she's worried as a military physician, like what's happening to the armed forces and people who didn't want to get vaccinated were being threatened to be discharged. And she saw this as, you know, not only as an individual problem, but as 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 like a national defense problem. Like she can't put pilots in the air who are sick. And then when you asked me the question, like, so I was involved with the convoy and there's a number of organizations that came to support. A lot of us doctors came to support the convoy and, and a lot of people at the convoy just came from different walks of life. And, you know, one of the, there's, there's two uh, pilot organizations that have been fighting mandates. And I, unfortunately I forget his last name, but uh, Josh is one of the founders, one of them. He's an airline pilot. Um, and, you know, what he was telling me privately, he says, this is really bad. He says, we've had cardiac arrest in the air. We are seeing heart attacks. We're seeing uh, pilots being disabled. And he's like, it's really serious. And, and so they're trying to organize and fight against these mandates. They, they, these pilots don't want to get vaccinated. And, and you know, it's, it's for very sound reasons. And, and yet they continue to mandate. The, the military's doubling down. You have this DOD leak with all this data, right, with Teresa Long and all that. And, and the data is absolutely terrifying. You have like 2,000% increases in one year in any number of disease categories. And and it's just shocking. And the military knows this. And what are they doing? They're monkey around the database to make it look like it's not an increase. And they shut down the database from public access uh, or even from widespread military access. And and you know it's all in pursuit 
of, and I can't use this term anymore, but the noble lie, it's no longer noble. Um, it's depraved. But that noble lie, right, it's, it's this belief that we need to hide, hide data from you for your own good, because if you really knew the data, you wouldn't get vaccinated. And so vaccine hesitancy is the enemy, and we have to do all we can to fight vaccine hesitancy. And I think that is what has explained the psychology of all these behaviors, because it really does take consistent and pervasive um, sort of implication of many people in order to do this. I mean, the media does it. They don't do stories on adverse events. No one talks about VARs in major media. The military's doing it. And, and it's terrifying to see that, you know, Malone talks about mass formation psychosis. And I think that's part of it is that literally people are led to believe that the vaccines are safe and effective and they, and that it's the solution. And, and they're all like attached to this idea. And, and they and their actions, I think, then are their conscience and support their actions. They think it's the right thing to do. And and I hope that the history books, uh, you know, get this right, that that it was actually that kind of behavior and that kind of manipulation with propaganda and censorship led to a catastrophic, you know, humanitarian catastrophe. So here's here's the disquieting question now. How far back does this rot go, the rot of... Uh, lying about what does work for a given ailment and promoting what doesn't work and is is unsafe. Um, look, when it comes to the vaccine issue, I'm I'm a, I've I've very strong opinions and everyone has known that for many years about many different policy issues. But when it comes to vaccines, I literally had no dog in the fight. I always trusted everything. I always yep. got all the shots. My kids did, and I never thought twice because one of the things I always said was that. I, I wouldn't know about it. I mean, if, if stuff RFK is saying, you know, if it's that ubiquitous, I, I, I would know about it. And now what I've learned is, oh, I wouldn't know about it. I mean, people are dropping dead left and right, and they make it that you know, don't know about it. Now, I do know that I, clearly this shot is, is, is worse than anything, but this is the uncomfortable question. I want to know if you want to comment on it. How far does this go back in the sense that, you know, now that I've hung around Dr. Cole, and I've gotten about a year's worth of medical school education from him. And yep. I understand inflammation. And I understand original antigenic sin and ADE. And that antibodies yep. are not categorically good. God made them in the yep. right time, right place, right amount. And when you start, you know, this is not so simple. And I'm, I'm looking back at literature on the flu shot. And there's a yep. lot of stuff about it turning off T-cells and negative efficacy one year. There's, there's literature on that. It's out in the open. And now I'm thinking, Daniel, how far does this open. go? Daniel, it's not out in the open. You have to be what you're, you, you have to be you, which, are, which you're doing the same thing as many people are now doing. You, you have to ask the questions. You have to look at the underlying source data. And when you find out that people who get the flu shot have categorically increased risk of other respiratory illnesses, mm. that's never talked about. They only want you to focus on the flu. And even the flu data is super weak. There's really no mortality benefit from it. Nope. There's barely a hospitalization benefit from it. And, and, and then when you see that there's all these other secondary risks that aren't talked about, you start asking questions like, how many vaccines are based on such weak data? Yes. And this is where it gets, again, transformative. This is what when scares me. And, and, and again, yeah. I don't think the other shots have like 
this ubiquitous amount of sudden cardiac and hematological and and whatever. But what I do fear, and particularly the immune system, with all this autoimmune, and, and, and there could be a lot of different things, and we could get into food, we can get into a lot of different things, but I can't trust it now. And this is, how do we go forward as... You know, we have to so, examine what the, the the things that are already on the vaccine schedule, and they're putting out more of them. So, so I got to say, I'm going to try to sound a positive message: is that this catastrophe that unfolded, which I believe is is, is due to corruption, not only of uh, media information, def- you know, propaganda and censorship emanating from that corruption, but the amount of people asking these questions, I hope that that continues. People keep asking questions when we're told one thing about our health and what to do for our health, and particularly vaccines, ask the question. Listen, I'm fully vaccinated uh, for all the other diseases that my children are. I never questioned, never did the deep dive. Now that all this is going on, and once you start doing the deep dive, you realize that like people like Del Bigtree and Bobby Kennedy, they've been sounding the alarm to this corruption for a long time. I mean, when I was a kid, right? So I was born in 1970. You know, in 1980 or somewhere around there, at a recent event, I think there was like 12 shots in the childhood schedule. Now there's 69 in the childhood, 69 shots. And when you talk to people who've been following this, pediatricians, you know, who are willing to be truth tellers and come out, they, you know, some pediatricians, and there are a handful that don't vaccinate children in their practice, they have long described the changes in children's health over the last 20 or 30 years, and they do ascribe it to this massive rise in the number of vaccinations. And they really talk about neurodevelopmental disorders and autism and allergies and all sorts of things that have exploded in the last 30 years. And that's one big change is, is these. So you have to ask that question. And then the other question that I was shocked to find out is when you look at polio, when you look at um, measles, when you look historically at the mortality rates for measles, um, they've constructed the mortality rates from over the last 100 years. You see this very high mortality early last century, and it starts to plummet throughout the century. Yes. And most of the mortality rates for many common infectious diseases that we vaccinated children for had already plummeted to very low levels before the introduction of the vaccine for that illness. Yes. And the most shocking to me is polio. Polio was plummeting before the vaccine was introduced. And when the vaccine was introduced, that curve, the slope of that curve, continued at the same slope. Mm. Meaning there's no really evidence historically to show that these vaccines have made a major impact in mortality rates of these diseases. It's sanitation, you know, uh, you know, clean water, different health care, better nutrition, you know, over the last hundred years that have largely been uh, yes. uh, credited. And, and then the other thing is then they'll show charts of stuff like scarlet fever, which does not have a vaccine. It's the same slope. It's the same chart mm. as measles and, and polio, which is that also plummeted down and went down to near zero. And there is no vaccine, even tuberculosis. Tuberculosis does not have a vaccine, has the same yes. uh, slope. And, is and it so, accurate to say that if you look at the evidence, there's no evidence that things that we really needed a vaccine for, that the vaccine is what helped it plummet, and then things that it legitimately did get rid of, did we need to get rid of it? For example, I have no doubt that it got rid of chicken pox, but 
you know, I got chicken pox, and I'm sure you did. Is that was yeah. that really a problem? And who's to say that that wasn't part of the immunological ecosystem designed to get certain things when you're younger? And if you don't, perhaps is that why we have so much shingles? Yeah, I, I, I gotta tell you, I mean, those are it's exactly the points. And so, you know, and, and then I don't even want to talk about the word anti-vax anymore. I, I'm just asking questions. And when I see data that doesn't match up, I call it out. And if it's and if it's against the support of a if if it's about data that doesn't support a certain vaccine, that's what the data shows. I don't care what label you put me on. But since I've asked that question, I mean, those are all really important. And then and then to think about HPV, which is a really toxic vaccine, it has numerous problems. There's a lot of fraud in putting that into the schedule. Do you know that boys get that? Yeah, they I, I mean, the they, they've pushed it on my kids. I, we, we never got that, but yeah. In, to, to, to decrease the incidence of HIV, to decrease uh, the incidence of cervical cancer, when there's many other approaches you could do, and you're giving this to a young child at the age of nine, even boys, I mean, it shows you the rapaciousness. I mean, think about vaccines as an industry, right? So what would you rather do, uh, Dan? Would you rather have a pharmaceutical company that makes a drug for a tiny amount of people who have a disease? Or would you rather make a vaccine for the massive amount of people yes. who don't have the vaccine? But, I mean, but the vaccine have this moral hazard that pediatricians nowadays, especially nowadays, that everything gets farmed out to specialists. This is a big amount of what they do, and it represents a large share of their income. I mean, so so when you look at a practicing pediatrician, I mean, they essentially do well visits. Right. And then the occasional infectious illness and they vaccinate and they vaccinate. And they're told to vaccinate. They have schedules to vaccinate their quality measures. They're actually measured in quality by the amount of vaccine, the amount of kids who are up to date on their vaccine. It's like a religion in there. And the thing is, I'm not putting down the doctors. This is how they're taught. This is what they believe. It's is all good. That's what, any that's disease for anyone, any time, any maker. It's all good. It's 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 an implicit positive medical intervention and it's essentially what pediatrics is centered around is making sure all the kids are vaccinated to ensure their healthy development and thriving later on in life and and many pediatricians over the last 20 years have been calling foul on that they don't think that these things are good for the kids health and and, and that they're vaccinating against something that, uh, that don't present real harms anymore and that these vaccines are causing a lot of secondary and untoward and not associated problems and I, I, you should have one of the pediatricians that I was on a recent panel with. I mean, they, these guys are really smart, very well studied, and they, they, they've seen it up front, and they're willing to speak out about it. But th this childhood vaccine thing is another – You know, again, I'm not an expert at it, but those that I've looked into, like you said, with, with influenza and Gardasil, and when you look at just the history of when vaccines were introduced and what was going on with those diseases, it's very hard to make the argument that vaccines were the game changer. And that's what everybody thinks with all these childhood illnesses is that until the vaccines, kids died. Well, they did, but they stopped dying at any significant rates before the vaccine was introduced. And so but we're all told that I think a little bit of that lie that the vaccines are so critical to preserving kids health and the data does not support that. This is very scary. And, and, and what scares me also is. You know, I, I would talk to doctors and it's like procedures. Everything's a schedule, a procedure. And then when yep. I met Dr. Cole and Dr. Urso, I was like, oh, that's a doctor. And they explain all the mechanisms of action and all the pathophysiology. And I'm like, wow. And now that I understand this, I'm thinking it all ties back to 
you know, immune health, anti-inflammation, that's everything. That's your illnesses, that's your autoimmune, that's your cancers. I, I, I never understood how much that ties back into the immune system and inflammation. And it shocks me how much of this is out in the open if someone wants to see it. Like, no one's ever heard of nitazoxanide, and I only got it from you and Flavio. Yep. But you Google, yep. you just Google nitazoxanide and cancer. And it's yep. unbelievable when you understand, even at my level, the pathophysiology of inflammation and cancer, how it turns yep. off some of the genes in, in some of these really tough, like colon or ovarian cancers. Yep. They have anti-chemo, chemo-resistant genes in them that nitazoxanide antagonizes those genes. And it's like, how have we not turned over every stone on that? I mean, that drug is given to kids for stomach ailments. I mean, young kids, it's so safe. Why? Why? Not, yeah, and now you see it. So when you said, like, how far back it goes, you know, I watched Plandemic. So Plandemic, it's a documentary, but it's actually cut up into chapters. So you can watch these little bits. And there's one about the origin of modern medicine, which really started with the Rockefellers, and how, you know, they started making these petroleum-based pharmaceuticals. And, you know, he started and funded the AMA, right? Um, and he essentially was making billions or millions off of pharmaceuticals. And part of the messaging of the AMA and this new advent of the medical sciences and the medical schools that he funded was that natural, memory, natural remedies, which had been around for hundreds of years, many of them with effective mechanisms, um, were considered not medicine, and they were discarded. So anyone looking for natural remedy or more natural substances, um, or and, and I would just argue repurposed or generic medicines now, that's not modern medicine, and it's discounted and dismissed. And that's been going on for 100 years. And by the way, I'm a product of that system. I didn't know, um, you know how much efficacy all these other compounds that we're not told about uh, could potentially have all of their other mechanisms. You have to do deep dives. And then one last thing I'll say is that and when you talk about all these policies and procedures that people follow in medicine, you know, that, that's, that's the one thing that I want to take credit for is that my whole career, everything that I saw we were doing, these protocols we were following and what, what the guidelines would say, you know, I saw a lot of times that it didn't apply to my individual patient. And I'd always teach my students like, yeah, I know those are the guidelines, but this is what's going on with the patient. I really think we need to do this. And I always push back against the rules and the policies. I was like, why are we doing it this way when the more uh, up-to-date evidence suggests we should do it this way, like in septic shock? Why are we giving three and four liters of saline in the emergency room when we know that uh, overhydration with all these fluids actually causes worse organ function? And yet that the system and 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 no one questions it no and i was always it. a guy who pushed back against everything we did and that may be why i'm a guy who spoke out today because i've always done that in my career i've never accepted the status quo as being the right way to do things i said this is the way we're doing it but is it really the best way and i always ask what's a better way of doing this and i always came up with different answers than the way that the system did it and so, so it's almost like going back to vaccines unless you're questioning them you're just going to go along and do it because, you know, like Paul says, the gods of science and knowledge have dictated that, right? The, the society came up with a guideline, and those are the best and smartest and most deeply knowledgeable. And so if they say to do it this way, it must be the right way. And so this, this top-down implicit faith in our medical societies and agencies 
um, has really led to control of medicine and control of doctors' minds. And, and, and Daniel, you're probably like me. We have been suffering. I almost have PTSD from the amount of stories of patients going to the hospital yes. who say X and the doctor says Y. And it's like it's a, there's a lot of discord in the hospital because they can't understand. You know, I have patients deteriorating, dying in ICUs. People are calling me, and yet the doctors just continue on with six milligrams of dexamethasone and remdesivir. <laughs> and they say, there's nothing more I can do. And I'm screaming like, you need to give higher doses of steroids. You need to give it early. You need to add these combinations. And yet those people come in with the information that me and my organization puts out and the doctors absolutely won't hear. It's not in the guideline. We can't, we don't have ivermectin in the formula. We can't give it. It'll hurt your liver. You hear all of this, all this stuff, but the same person will have no problem with the remdesivir, like two years into this after we know what the issues are. And and again, like, um, but I'm finding it's with cancer too. So they'll give you a chemo drug without batting an eyelash that will ravage the hell out of your body. whatever you know efficacy it has but then you have all these things that some others are advocating for that you know whether it's the high vitamin d the vitamin c infusions the hyperbaric oxygen low dose naltrexone and then you look at ivermectin i mean it's like again it's still nascent to research but but we know that everyone who takes it does well with it so at worst it's a sugar pill people are like they're dying they have nothing to try why wouldn't you try things that are good for your body anyway won't harm you see if it works it, well, it, it kills on. me so, so daniel we've already talked about the big picture and all of this the the one other big picture that the one the thing that i think is unique to ivermectin is when you look at the battle against natural remedies and generic repurposed drugs I don't think there's been a time in history where one single drug presented as great a threat to as many markets and industries as ivermectin. Vaccine hesitancy would skyrocket. People would say, I'll just take ivermectin if I'm sick. Paxlovid, gone. Molnupiravir, gone. Uh, The need for remdesivir hospital would be plummeted. We know this from health ministry data. If you treat early, no one goes to the hospital. So monoclonal antibodies, gone. And so you're talking about markets in the hundreds of billion dollars from one drug, ivermectin. And, and so that's, that's the life that I've led for 15 months is I've seen a system that's done everything they can to destroy knowledge of efficacy of ivermectin. And because I think it, it's up against the biggest pharmaceutical opposition of anything. And, but there's been lots of things that have been dismissed and derided and proven not effective because they didn't want it to. I mean, just as a one small example, you talk about cancer. Did you know, you know, so I'm very interested in fasting as a, as a therapy. I mean, you know, the, the doing the pro- prolonged fast, you know, water fast, five, six, seven days, it's, it clears up a lot of different conditions. And there's actually good data showing that prior to chemotherapy, if you fast for like five or six days, your tolerance of chemotherapy is huge. But when you look at the doctors who tried to put forth that as maybe an, a practice or a protocol, it was destroyed by the American Cancer Society. They completely, uh, you know, editorials were written against it, how it's harmful and all this stuff. And so you see when you come up with a natural or pragmatic solution to a problem, that's also anathema to the pharmaceutical industry. And, and, and again, the levers that they can, they can pull to make people believe, you know, what works and what doesn't, even these absurd examples that you give, it's, it's astonishing, and, and it's been transformative in, in, to me in a way that's, 
that's good and bad. I, I sometimes call myself a broken physician, a broken doctor, because I don't know what to do in the system anymore. Yeah. I don't know what to believe. I can't read the journals the way I used to, because, because, you know, what appears in journals is what they want to appear in journals. Yes. Now my question is, what's not in the journals? And you can see it in second and third tier journals and in talking to doctors around the world, especially doctors who are open-minded and collaborative and empiric and they try things and they find out stuff that works. You can learn from them, but you'll never see it in the big impact journals. And the second and third tier journals are not what drives headlines. And, I am and telling so it, you, we need to raise yeah. money to, if we would do ivermectin, nitazoxanide trials for various cancers, oh boy, I mean, I think we might turn up dead, but I think no, it's a no, so worthy there, endeavor. It's not ivermectin and nitazoxanide, it's albendazole, which is another uh, antiparasite drug. And it's just odd that these three antiparasite drugs, they, they do have really significant multiple mechanisms against tumors. And yet, you know, it's the odd fringe doctor who'll use them. You know, who's open-minded enough and sees that data for what it is. It's a safe drug. It has these great mechanisms. It's shown in case series and case reports to be helpful. You have someone dying or suffering from severe cancer. Why not try it? But you will only find that in case series and case reports in second and third tier journals. Yes. It will never rise to a systematic practice because it, again, would destroy the entire therapeutics, uh, you know, uh, to cancer. That's big money. Big money. That's half their money. Well, we'll have to leave it there, Dr. Corey. Um, again, you could find uh, treatment at drpierrecorey.com, your Substack also, and pick up an early copy, early pre-order, The War on Ivermectin. Let's do this again soon and have a great weekend. Daniel, great to talk to you. Thanks, man. Take care. Man, folks, I totally lost track of time there. I forgot I was even live doing a show here. Um, it was just like talking to a friend, but I, I figured you guys would appreciate that. What a terrific person. Look, you know, he, he was always liberal and he probably still is on many things. If you had someone like that run for office and then on the other hand, a typical Republican who claims to be good on the other issues but doesn't really do much about that, but is in bed with pharma, I'm telling you, I would go along with him. This is a new realignment. This issue matters. It matters so much. The right to life. What does that mean? It means more than just the unborn. It certainly means standing for the born. It means standing for all life, whole life. Um, we are way out of time. Hope you guys have a terrific weekend, a blessed Easter, um, a happy Passover for our Jewish listeners. We'll be back same time, same place Monday. God bless you all, and thank you for listening.